as I there's sort of three or four plugs here, and then the leads are all together. But you, you can't, at one glance, you can't see where they're going. And that's a bit like our chapter this morning. There's a lot of information in it. There's a word given to what we've read about this morning, uh, a word that theologians use, and it's called eschatology. And it's really, it's the description and, and the, the events being unfolded so that we might understand what they are in the future. And that's a very specific thing that we, as believers, have to consider because one of the great things, one of the great things about God revealing to his world is actually, un- <coughs> actually unfolding what's happening in the future. And that's given to us so that we can be certain of things to come. Certain of things to come. And you know, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's wonderful to be in a place that you know that God's got everything in control, the future is in his hands, and he's going to sort it out. That's really at the, co- that's the core of what we call, or the theologians, called eschatology. God's got it all worked out. He's in control. And so in our chapter this morning, some things are revealed to us. And uh, it's like the disciples, they came to Jesus and privately asked him some questions. They said, when will these happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, we didn't quite pick up the last words of the, of the previous chapter, although Steve um, mentioned them uh, last week. And I just want to read them to you. And Jesus was, if you remember the DVD last week, which some won't because you weren't here, um, but we saw Jesus pleading, pleading with the communities of Jerusalem how that he had such a heart not necessarily for the nation, but as he did, but for the people. That they might have a peace and a freedom, that they might know security then and for the future. And um, as he looked at the temple, this great, wonderful building with its marble and its gold and its artwork, as they looked at the building and said to Jesus, Lord, can you see this wonderful building? And Jesus in his heart He says, I must tell them, this building's coming down and I have something greater and more valuable to provide. And they couldn't understand that because to have no temple was like the end of the world to them. To the Jews, to have no temple, it was like the end of the world. It's like the whole world crashing about around them. And today there's still such a force by so many people trying to rebuild that temple in Jerusalem. But it will be all to no avail because Jesus himself and what he can offer has replaced and is replacing all that that meant, both for the Jewish nation but also for the whole world. The temple in Jerusalem was meant to bless the whole world. It never achieved that. And as Jesus looked at it, he thought, He's this, in his heart, he knew this is coming down. And Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. He predicted it, and it happened. Well, the news of the world has become the news of the world, hasn't it? It's a strange. The news of the world has become the news of the world. The good news for the world is still the good news for the world. The news of the world has now become bad news for the world and bad news for employees, 
but the good news of Jesus Christ remains the good news of Jesus Christ in this day. And part of what I want to talk about this morning, which is reflected in this passage, is God gives a window of opportunity. God gives a window of opportunity. <clears throat> well, I just want to say a little testimony here. There was a man named Jim Vore. The story of Jim Vore is one of a turnaround from self-centeredness to unselfish service. A notorious criminal phone tapper in America, Vore was converted at one of Billy Graham's evangelistic crusades. After he had begun to follow Christ, Vore was approached by a man who offered him $10,000 bribe if he would give false testimony in a libel case. Vore said to the man, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard what? replied the man. Jim Vore is dead. Vore recalls that the man's chin dropped, his eyes bulged, he looked as if Vore, as if he had gone mad. And Vore continued, that's correct. The man you are looking for, who used to tap wires, making recordings and then sell them to the highest bidder, is dead. I'm a new person because it says in the Bible, if any man is in Christ, that person is a new creation, a change around. And so for that man, <clears throat> bad news became good news because his life was turned around. Partly what I want to share this morning is the good news that's in Jesus Christ. It's called the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to thank Mel and um, Helen for what they brought into our worship this morning because they were both very relevant um, to our passage under consideration this morning. Now, I'm not going to deal with at all the details of eschatology because the temple's gone, that's down, God ended a covenant, but the one thing that matters to us this morning and really matters to the whole world is that Jesus is coming again. Now, the, one of the main parts of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is coming again. And Jesus talks about the coming of the Son of Man. The one thing about Jesus' coming is that it, it stirs Christians throughout the world to try and fix when he's coming. <laughs> and that's a bad thing. Because Jesus himself said, <clears throat> I don't know when I'm coming. Only the Father knows. And I think that's such an amazing statement of the humanity of Jesus. He laid aside his divinity in order that he'd become man. He probably knows now because he's returned to heaven. But if it was folly for Jesus, folly for people to try and determine when he was coming, when Jesus said, only the Father knows. And Christians trying to work it out. There's even believers today trying to create Jesus coming as soon as possible. They're trying by giving money to the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem, they're trying to bring Jesus coming earlier. That's bad news too, because it's causing all kinds of problems. But Jesus said, I don't know when I'm coming. So we don't know when Jesus is coming, but one thing this passage does tell us that we need to be ready for him coming. That's called the opportunity. And this morning, a little bit of what I want to say brings in a window of opportunity. The good news, then, is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners. That's why he came. That's why he came the first time. And when he comes the second time, he's coming to gather those that believe in him to be with him. That's why he's coming the next time. First thing I just want to note about this passage is, whatever Jesus uttered, his words were sure and certain. And we need to remember that when we come to the Bible, when Jesus speaks, they're more valuable than gold. Jesus becomes to the Christian the fount of all knowledge. The disciples came to him like that because they had been with him. They'd seen how his words impacted the crowds. They saw, even from a child, the men, the the religious people in the tent, they, they were amazed at the answers and the questions that he gave. So even at an early age, in his manhood, Jesus was dedicated to the Old Testament scriptures that he might know the purposes of God. And as he unfolded the purposes of God, his words were so important. Jesus gave 25 distinct predictions about the falling, about the temple coming down. There were others not quite so distinct, but 25 distinct predictions and each of those came to pass at the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. It works out about a chance, 20 million chance to one, of all those things becoming true in that one event. The lottery is about 40 million to one. But the chance of all the things which Jesus said about the temple coming down is a chance of 20 million to one. So sure and certain were the words of Jesus. What Jesus says for our behalf and our benefit in the window of opportunity he gives us are sure and certain. And the disciples came to Jesus and they knew that he would have the answers. About the words of Jesus, Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. What does that mean, that they are spirit and they are life? The positive words about our blessing and the gospel to us from Jesus are spirit and they are life. It's like when we hear something from Jesus, Jesus, it's like planting a seed. Now, in that seed, it has all the future blessings and growth. They are spirit and they are life. And the disciples had said to Jesus on one occasion, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Within you, on what you say, you have the blessing and the benefit to to give to us for eternity. So sure were they about Jesus. To whom shall we go? Where will you go when you want to know something about your life? and about how God can bless you, and how God can help you. Where will you go? To whom shall we go? Part of my message is to say this morning what the Bible says. We need to come back to what Jesus said, to own what he said, because what he said is important. The words of Jesus can bless us tremendously beyond all all understanding. And so in verse 3, we see the disciples, they tell us. They come to him and they said, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming 
and the end of the age. In verse 25, Jesus said, See, I have told you ahead of time. Isn't that the wonderful thing about Jesus? The wonderful blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he tells us ahead of time. If it's a warning, it comes before it happens. If it's a promise, it comes so that we might take hold of it. If it's a word of advice, we take it. And Jesus gave words to advice to those early Christians when the army surrounded Jerusalem. He said, and this was a window of opportunity, he said, when you see these happen, he said, pray that it won't happen on the Sabbath. Pray for those nursing mothers and pregnant ones. And pray that it will ha- you will be able to get out of Jerusalem when you see the armies. You see, so valuable was the advice of Jesus. Jesus gave them advice about practical things in a dangerous and an awful situation. He said, flee to the mountains. Now the statistician Gallus, he records, you won't know him, I didn't know him, but it's in the Jewish records. He recorded, there's no record of ever of a believer or a Christian dying in that escape. Because they took the words of Jesus and they went out. When they, but it was only a window of opportunity. They were able, at a moment, I can't remember the, the scenario of the armies or what happened, but what Jesus said, he said, there will be a window of opportunity for you to escape and be safe. And that's what they did. Because they took the words and the advice of Jesus. Jesus gives us many other words of advice about how we live our lives sometimes. And we don't take them, do we? Advice about this and that. Giving advice about all sorts of things. How we think, what we do, and we don't teach us. But anyhow, the disciples, and Jesus answered, See, I've told you ahead of time. In verse 44, he says, I tell you the truth. There'll be no confusion if we go to Jesus and we... Seek him for the answers we need to know. And I know many of us here have answers. There are probably questions about, questions about what's happened here in eschatology or what's going to happen in the future, how it's going to happen, how it's going to all work out. It's like that tangle of wires. We know the one begins, and there seems to be a bit that we can't really understand, but that's not the important thing. Within this passage, Jesus very much speaks of a window of opportunity. In verse 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus delivers his answer to reach our ears, the ears of believing people and of unbelieving people. This world is full of people who actually believe in Jesus as their saviour and people who don't. I wonder which category you fall into this morning. I mean, as I look around the room, I I wonder where your mind is. You know, I wonder why you're here. And God would say, why are you here? I tell you why you're here, because God has given to you a window of opportunity to believe in Jesus. 
That's probably the only reason why you're here. And God would give that prime opportunity to you this morning to believe in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus refers to Noah in this chapter. He said, as it was in the days of Noah. Noah, a window of opportunity in a world of opposition. What was it about the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, there was increase in knowledge throughout the earth. We read things like this, that there were men of renown and heroes. The day when God looked out on the earth and he saw that there was, there was corruption throughout the whole world, he said, I'm sorry that I ever made man. What a condemnation on the world. What a condemnation on you and I as he looked and saw that there was only corruption throughout the world and nothing to please him. But in those days, there were men of renown and heroes. They don't tell us they're heroes of faith. In other words, they're people of notoriety. People of renown who were able to make large sums of money or create wealth. We live in a world like that of wealth creators. The rich-poor divide is so wide in some things. Unbelievable amounts of money just stored up as unbelievable amounts of money. And it was like that in these days, you know. No consideration for the God who created them. And we live in a world like that too. And so as Jesus refers to the days of Noah, he's saying, look at the world you live in. Your world is very similar to the days of Noah. It was a day when Noah was here, it was a day of preaching. Noah preached for 120 years. I don't know how long preaching is going to go on for. It certainly happened this morning under designated preacher to bring God's word. And it's a day of preaching today. Noah preached for 120 years. Preaching has been going on for more than 2,000 years. Preaching. One person telling other people about the good news of the gospel. That's my job this morning. My responsibility is to tell you about the love of Jesus, about the words of Jesus, about the opportunity that God is giving to us to turn to Jesus Christ as Saviour. The days of Noah were days of opportunity, a hundred years of opportunity. We've had more days, and we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he is coming back. And that's the chance we have. In the days of Noah, people became ignorant to what was good news. Jesus refers in, in verse 39, he referring to the people of Noah's days, it says they knew nothing about what was to happen. They knew nothing about what was to happen. Even though they heard it, they knew nothing in their heart. What does that mean? The explanation of that is that they did not come to know, even although they knew. 
what it meant was that they didn't give themselves to what they were hearing, believe it, and trust in it. And this morning it's the same with preaching. There's many churches throughout the world doing the same thing as we're doing. And people are hearing. Jesus spoke a lot about we hear, but we don't hear. I think it was a conference we heard last week. You know that um, it's only those people who believe God's word who actually act upon it. The only people who believe God's word are those who act upon it. And so this morning it's the same. It's happening, could happen right in this very room. What you're hearing is hearing, but you're not doing anything about it. And I would challenge you to do something about your life before Jesus comes again. That's what he was doing. Out of the questions that the disciples asked, And so these people became ignorant to what was good news. Fourthly, it was a time of an unprepared majority. The Bible records in 1 Peter 3 verse 20, in the days of Noah, only eight were saved. Only eight were saved. We live in a world like that too today of an unprepared majority. That God's love, his grace, his mercy, what we've been singing about this morning, is still calling you to Jesus, calling you to himself. Only eight were saved. Could there be one more this morning? In this room? Could there be one more in this room? There are thousands of believers today. But you know, the window of opportunity is here. I got metal windows in my house, big metal windows, but they got smaller panes, smaller windows, you know? A bit like those square blocks on a calendar, representing a day. Today is the 17th of July. And could it be that that window is the day that you took hold of the opportunity that God's given you to come to know Jesus Christ, the Saviour. The salvation that Jesus offers to us is for unbelievers and believers because it's a call to salvation but also to discipleship. There's another window of opportunity here because Jesus talks about the love of most growing cold. How do you feel standing before that statement? As I was thinking about this yesterday, I thought of my dad. Perhaps you would just permit me to tell you about my dad and his schedule during the week. He'd get up at half past six, he'd cycle to Canterbury, and he'd work uh, work in a greenhouse in, in horticultural situation. In the summer, he'd be inside the greenhouse. He'd be taking off the side shoots on the tomatoes and feeding and watering and stuff like that. He'd come home, cycle home. He'd get home about 6 o'clock. He would go straight into his bedroom. He'd get on his knees and he'd pray. And you'd hear him praying. I'd hear him praying some things like, 
praying for the peace of Jerusalem. He prayed for dear brother Todd and dear brother Angel. There were people that he knew when he was out on the gospel. And he'd be praying for other sorts of people, people in need. And he'd come out and he'd do a little bit. That would be a Monday. A Tuesday he would do the same thing. He would come home. About 7 o'clock he would go out with my granddad and they'd go out into the villages around here. Perhaps any village you know around here he's been to with tracks and singing hymns in the villages around here, the two of them together, and he'd come back. That was a Tuesday. A Wednesday, it would be Bible study. A Thursday, it would be out again in the villages to the people. On Friday, get a few jobs done. Saturday, a few jobs done. Saturday afternoon, out into the villages. Sunday, it would be meeting in the morning. Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock, with the Sunday school, half past six, the meeting in the evening, sometimes going out preaching, even in this old wooden hall out the back here. And that was a repetition, no holiday. Now some say, you've got a sad dad. And some people have said to me, he didn't take much notice of you, and you lost out as a child. Well, maybe there's something in that, I don't know. But you know, he loved the church. When I hear people saying things about, say, oh, I don't go because I don't like it and I don't get on with people and I don't do this and that. And the other thing, I don't agree with that. I don't do that sort of thing. I just wonder how much they love the church. My dad was criticised a lot. I'm doing this by permission, not to honour him in any way. He's dead now. So. But, you know, I, I, I was just thanking God for my dad's life yesterday because he loved the church that was his whole life I can remember my mum having a go at him because I, I, I got the prime part in a school play in, the, in, the, in Gilbert Sullivan's um, Gondoliers and I played the Duke of Plaza's Toro and it was on a Thursday he said I can't come because it's my night out on the gospel my mum gave him such a thrashing <laughs> that he and Grandad both came together and to get Grandad in a situation like that was a, going through a minefield. But I knew he loved the church. I had no doubt about that. And Jesus talks about here, about the love of most growing cold. And I found that a fresh challenge to me yesterday as I thought about my dad. I thought to myself, what does the Bible talk about? It talks about you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind. So love for God is to be rooted in our whole being. I read Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. And then we're called to have the same love as Jesus. The same love as Jesus. How much do we really give ourselves to the church? We were amongst 5,000 people last week. Take 50% of them, that's 2,500, if all of them really loving the church. Two guys we met, they were off that day to another country to plant a church giving up their job and going and planting a church. 
Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. We are called to have the same love. The early church developed that love in a together way, not doing our own thing, but doing things together. That's a real challenge. I would challenge us, each of us, you know, if we're not wholeheartedly behind our church and our community, let's demonstrate it by our action. Get in on the act. Jesus loved the church, you and me, and he gave himself for it. Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. Love for the values that make church work. Sometime soon we will be going through the vision and values that we love so much. The vision and values that we gained afresh last week at Brighton. You know, what God can do for Herne Bay and for the world if we put, if we get our shoulders behind what God is doing. The love of most will grow cold. When I think of all the idiosyncrasies that we use sometimes as excuses for what we do in church and how we adopt to that, I think, how much do you really love Jesus? Because Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And we're asked to have the same love as Jesus. The same love as Jesus. The temple was raised to the ground because of what it became. It lost its value. It lost its purpose. It lost all the blessing that the future meant to the people. The church has taken over, or should take over from that. We read Revelation, we, we read about a church that it lost its first love. church that loses its first love, it means that its people actually end up agreeing together that it's not really worth doing what we do. Well, let's come with a fresh perspective as we reach out into Herne Bay, as we reach out to the wider world, as we get caught up in mission. Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. Shall we just pray and I'm just going to invite John and Steve. Maybe we could just stand. So just give an invitation to John and Steve if they just want to share anything that follows on from what I've said or you feel that you want to be prayed for, but Lord, we just come afresh to you this morning and say we just don't want to be in that place where it could be said of us, we don't really love what's going on. We just find it convenient. We just find it a convenient place to come to on a Sunday morning. Just something that will help me in my life. But Lord, we're here on a mission. We're here to generate further answers to needs in our society. Father, we're here to demonstrate that we love you, we serve you, and we honour you. We're here to say, Lord Jesus, you're the, still the saviour of the world who can become my own personal saviour this morning.
We just ask, Lord, that you will speak to us. Speak to, Lord, I ask that you will speak to everyone here. They don't know Jesus Christ as Saviour to make this the window of opportunity to escape from the world, to escape from our sin and our lostness and to accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Give you that opportunity. We're here in Jesus' name. Okay. We've got a song. Steve's got a song. Sing um, Helen, Let the Week. Say, I have. Yeah, John. I was just thinking it'd be good to finish on a song that reminds us of what we have in Him. Reminds us of the hope we have in Him. It's called Let Now the Week. Just the words, Let Now the Week say, I have strength. We can feel so not up to the task. And let mm. put us off. Yes. And we don't do it. Mm. It also says, let the poor stand and confess that my portion is him. Mm. We can feel poor, we can write ourselves off. We've got a job to do. And we can feel gargantuan. And it is. Tell the world about Jesus. Right, I'm not just little Steve. I'm six foot three, but I'm still small. But actually in him, by his spirit, he's given us a job to do. He's not going to leave us without the right equipment, is he? Mm-hmm. It's just understanding the riches we have in him. I think it'd be good just to sing this song to him and this. They wouldn't take it anywhere else after, but... Yeah, Shana Mahamba, Kira Bakhudo, 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 Kira Bak